0: It is a glory land, and we look forward to being in there one day, and that day is coming to his children, and we're thankful to be God's children. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship you tonight. Please guide us into all truth and grant to us your wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Help us, Lord God, to uh, be firm and be steadfast and be unwavering in our faith that we might honor you in all things, that in the end, Lord God, you'll bring us home with you uh, through your grace and through your mercy. Please bless us with the reading of your words tonight. Help us to understand, to grow, and to live by them, that we might grow stronger. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank you be that will. Amen. Please turn to Acts chapter 19. Uh, still on demonology, uh, abstain from every form of evil. First Thessalonians 5, 22 tells us that. We must abstain. So the question is we've we've talked about are demons real? Yeah, they, they are real. See there's a radio station, um I don't recall what it is, it's in in Law forty eight, where literally they, they uh cast out demons throughout almost the whole uh session. They have a demon session, they play it over and over again. There are churches today that are still casting out demons uh and doing those types of things. But we need to look at biblical uh examples of demons and demonology And then I asked the question tonight, uh, are demons able to possess us today uh, like they did in uh, the first century, the days of Jesus? Acts chapter 19, we'll begin just with some reading of the supernatural uh, powers of demonology. Verse 13, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adore you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirits amazed, excuse me, the the evil, evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So here, here's an amazing, Mark, Mark chapter 1, here's an amazing amount of power they were able to, uh, through a human, subdue other humans, a group of other men, and uh, rip off their clothes and send them, send them running out of a home naked and wounded. And humans, people were very afraid of demons, which we should be uh, in one sense, but not more afraid of them than we are of God, right? And so here these demons have this amazing amount of supernatural power. They subdue these seven men. Mark 1, verse 23. And just then there was in the synagogue a man who with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, Who is this? And a new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And so the unclean spirits are coming out at the command of Jesus. Notice, if you will, they came out with a very loud noise and sending the individual into convulsion. And so you can imagine um, that... Probably the scariest movie you've ever seen uh, wouldn't be more, <laughs> more terrifying than seeing something like that and hearing the noise of the demon coming out. We don't know what noise uh, they used, but we do know that it obviously was terrifying based on the reaction of the, of the saints or the people. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. I know these are very familiar, but I want to bring out just certain points in each one. Verse 14. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a loud crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And so, here this, this boy, this child is, uh, is, whether well, it be a boy or a girl, but anyway, this child is being injured by this demon, and yet, the apostles did not have the power or the authority to cast it out. Mark chapter 5, a very little lengthy in its reading, but uh, I want to read, uh, this episode in Mark 5, this account, we're gonna read also a bit of it, uh, in uh, the book of Luke in just a moment. But verse 1. And they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had was dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with the chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, And the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gnashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit and he was asking him what is your name and he said to him my name is legion for we are many and he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out into the country it was interesting in this passage uh is that uh, the demons as we mentioned last week are confessing the name of Jesus and again if you're studying with someone that is um uh an unbeliever they are are you know maybe agnostic or atheist just study the demons. Study demonology. Show them. The demons confess the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, they don't believe in miracles, but they believe in demons for sure. Um, in verse 10, And he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out into the country. Now, there was a, a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons entreated him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter into them. And he gave them permission... And coming out, the unclean spirits into the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. 2,000 demons in one particular location is an absolute amazing number, right? It's kind of scary when you think about it, right? So in these days, remember that this demonology or demon possession is against human will. Turn to Luke chapter 8. It is against human Wills. And so uh, we're going to look at that here in just a moment. So the 2,000 demons, I want to turn to Luke 8. It's the same account, but I want to grab another thought. When they were saying, do not torment me, and then they also said, cast us into the swine. And in Mark, it also says they didn't want to be out of the country. I want you to notice in Luke chapter 8, and Luke's account, what really is going on in the mind of the demon. Okay, um, verse 26 And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had come out into the land, he was met by a certain man from a city, a city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you. Do not torment me. Now, here's a question. What if demonology uh, were true today? Would you not hear these demons that are being cast out? Instead of just making these loud sounds, would they not confess the name of Jesus? Because consistently through the Scriptures, they're confessing the name of Jesus Christ or acknowledging the apostles or or something to that sort, acknowledging God's, God's people. Um, so here the, the, he begs, do not torment me. Verse 29. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demons into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss. So the reality is, You know what the demons didn't want? They didn't want to go back to hell. That's a good message for us. (laughs) The demons had been there. They spent time there. They were out for just a little while. They asked Jesus for mercy. And Jesus said, okay, I'll give you mercy. He didn't, you know, not in the text. But the idea, what he did through his actions is he showed them mercy. He says, okay, you don't want to go back to hell right now. What do you want? Well, command us to cast any swine. It would have given them just a little more time out of hell. Think about that for just a moment. Do you know of anyone who is, turn to Matthew chapter 9, who have been to hell, come back to the earth, and preached a message to us? Yeah, the demons of the Gerasenes, they said, we don't want to go back to hell. So we learn that hell is not only real, which we already know that, but hell is not only real. The demons are not only real, and they actually live in this place that God himself said he prepared for the demons, for, for Satan and his angels, the demons, we realize that the demons themselves don't want to go back to that place of torment. So is it really a place of torment? Absolutely. It's a good message for us uh, to learn, to think about, and to grow from. Now, Matthew chapter 9 in verse 32. And as they were going out, behold, a dumb man, demon-possessed, was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, Nothing like this was ever seen in Israel. So here now we have this account where they're amazed and marveling. Something amazing is going on. We've never seen this or something like this even in Israel. So these powers that Jesus possesses over the demons, very important for us to know that, that God is in complete and total control always, right? Even over the demons, even over Satan. And even if we allow him to, even over our lives as well. And that's what we want, right? Acts chapter 8. We want God to be in control over our lives. So God passed this possession, this ability, rather, of demon uh, um, exorcism. Let's call it that. He passed it on to the apostles who later, the apostles, were able to pass the gift on to other people. So what's interesting about miraculous gifts is that Jesus could pass them on with full, full measure. The apostles who had the full measure, were able to pass them on as the Holy Spirit directed, but those who received the gift from the apostles were not able to pass the gifts on to anyone else. So that's how we know the days of the miraculous eventually ceased because those, once the apostles were were dead and gone, then when those who had the miracles passed on to them were dead and gone, all the miracles ceased. That age was over, the age of the miraculous. Now, verse 4, Acts chapter 8. Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. And they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in that city. So notice how much noise there is when we're talking about demons and demonology and coming out of people. It's never, it's not a quiet thing. It's something that is very public. It is, uh, very visible. Um, it is very painful. It looks like coming out of an individual and, uh, it's pretty paralyzing. It's pretty amazing. And so, you know, Hollywood has jumped on that bandwagon and they've, oh, we're going to show you these really scary movies. Question is, does demonology in the miraculous exist today? So let's look at Jesus' statement in Matthew 28 and verse 18. The answer, the civil si- the answer, you already know, the answer is, well no. Right? But, but what makes, what is the difference? What makes a difference in today in comparison to the days of Jesus Christ? Uh, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus also, if you will, gave authority to the apostles and the disciples over all unclean spirits. Luke chapter 9, please, and, and verse 1. Luke 9 and verse 1. There the Bible says very specifically and he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. So today we are outside of the days of the miraculous. Right as far as demonology is concerned, as far as those powers are concerned, we're beyond the days of the miraculous. The miraculous was the church in its infant stage. The church is no longer in its infant stage. But well, after the first century, when all these folks died and passed on, all of demonology went away. In fact, historically, uh, if you go back and look at history, you'll find that someone back around, I think it was 186 um, A.D. Or, or somewhere around there, trying to bring demon possession back, and then the idea of exorcism back. Well, here's the thing you know. Okay, here's something we know. Let's turn to James four and verse seven. We know this, if there is going to be a demon that can possess a man or a woman beyond their desire and their power, there has to be someone with the power to exercise that demon. We do not have anyone with the power to exercise that demon, nor do demons have the power to possess our minds. Okay? We have all authority over demonology because we have all authority to make the decisions for ourselves, James four and verse seven, the Bible tells us very clearly: submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Not he, not as a possibility, but Satan has no choice other than to leave you when you choose to make him go. And that's just in temptation. That's not demon possession. We have all authority. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please. We have all authority over anything that is against our will. God has given us a free will and has given us power over all things that might violate our free will. We can choose to maintain spirituality and wholeness, and we can choose to give it away. It's up to us. We can choose to invite it in. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says about, you know, going to bed angry, verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So the Bible is making it very clear. You are not to let Satan have an opportunity to to enter into your life, right? Enter into your mindset. Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I, I have complete and total control. So there is no such thing as... The miraculous demon possession today, as you find in uh, Bible times in the days of Jesus. Look at what else Jesus said about miracles. Mark, uh, Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. And we're not going to deal with, you know, we'll spend time looking at miracles in one day and showing you all the biblical texts that prove that miraculous powers are gone today. Um, but I just want to look quickly, just briefly, at Mark 16, verse uh, 17. And these signs will accompany those who, believe, who have believed in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. and They, they drink any deadly poison. It shall not hurt them. Uh, they will lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus has spoken to them, uh, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Okay, now notice what happened. The word of God was being confirmed By the miracles so that's important because there were false apostles in that day and there were false you know christians people if you will in that day and they were trying to deceive people and mislead them off into wickedness and evil so what was happening in the days of miraculous was if a man like paul wrote a letter you kind of know you can authenticate paul because paul's a man who has the ability to cast out demons and do these kinds of miraculous things notice the bible says in verse 20 and they went out and preached everywhere while the lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that follows that's a present tense right now jump all the way over to hebrews for just a moment uh in chapter two and let's look at verses uh one through verse three For this reason, we must pay a much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord? It was confirmed to us by those who heard. So the tense has changed, right? It was confirmed. So, on one hand, it's confirming it as they go along. And then by the time we get to the Hebrew writer in this particular era, it's already confirmed. So we don't need someone today to come with some miraculous power to prove to us that God's Word is God's Word. It's already confirmed. Um, Let's turn over to um, Ephesians chapter 4. Would God ever leave us um, handicapped in that, as it says, Satan, you know, you... You have all power and all authority over that, that gentleman. He can't change even if he wants to. Well, absolutely not. I mean, that's biblical, biblically speaking, contextually, we know that that would never ever happen. Does God turn people over? Yes. But then they can choose to resist that evil and come back to the Lord. So what has God done? Verse seven, Ephesians four and verse seven. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says he, uh, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he has ascended, uh, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? So Jesus has led captives, right? That was us. Outside of Christ, we were captive by Satan, a host of captives. In other words, he's freed us from Satanism, from following in the world and living an ungodly life and living in our sins. He's freed us. And now he's led us captive into his relationship and into a heaven-bound lifestyle. we thank God for that. Galatians 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. Dealing with the Old Testament, follow the idea that goes with this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep uh, standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And so they were trying to go back to uh, Judaism. And he said, that's not how you learn Christ. Right? That was a yoke of slavery, a yoke of bondage, but you've been set free. We have been set free not to be enslaved again by Satan or anything else. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 31. When you start reading Romans 8, you realize Romans eight is dealing with a lot of um, very deep, intense thoughts that a lot of Christians don't even like to hear, that, you know, uh, as he's talking about that there's the law of Christ in verse 1, and then he continues on, he starts talking about living according to the Spirit versus living according to the flesh, and then he he jumps into being creatures of futility, you know, while we're living in this earth, and how we're subject, and all the problems we have here, and then he jumps all the way over in verse 31. In verse 31, he goes right into, what then shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who is against us. Now we know the answer to that question is Satan. But Satan can't win. Satan is already defeated. Therefore, there's no one or nothing that is against us because everything else has been rendered powerless. In verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one Who justifies? Well, yet you read the Bible, you read the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Who tries to bring a charge against God's elect? Satan and the demons. But who can do that? The Bible says no one, for God is He who judges. Verse thirty-four. Who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus? He who died, yes, rather who was raised from the the, who is at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword, just as it is written, for thy sakes we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. Now I need you to get this. It says principalities. Now Ephesians 6 says, it talks about principalities. And it's talking about the heavenly beings, the heavenly host. So he makes it very clear to us in verse 37 that we are the conquerors, and there's nothing that can overpower us, nor is there anything that can separate us, not even the principalities. They do not have the power over us. Verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the only separation that comes is if we ourselves walk away from God. But that is not because Satan has the power. Here's what's scary. It's not Satan. It's my choice. That's what makes demonology terrifying today. Not not that not the demon possession. I mean, that, that's scary. and that, You see that and you look at that. I mean, I would, I, I would not be a good exorcist because I'd probably run. I mean, I, you know, I'd be terrified of those demons. But what's scary is, in reality, as often as we've tried to do it, we can't blame Satan anymore. It's me. I make my own choices. I make my own decisions. I choose what's best for me. I choose what I want. I choose how much I'll tolerate God. I choose how much I'll let God into my life. I choose everything for my life, and Satan has nothing to do with it. Scary. See, the principle and the the generic, if you will, ideas of evil are ever before us, in the sense that it's, it's already here. It's already on the earth. In fact, you can Google it nowadays, right? Whatever you want to know about it today, unfortunately, you can Google it and probably find it on, on your, your device. It's present. It's already here. Satan already has figured out, but at this point in time, he doesn't have to possess people with demons. He doesn't have the authority, but even if he did, he doesn't have to. We'll research it ourselves. Stay away from evil, the Bible says, right? Watch out for that. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. One of the most powerful chapters in in the entire Bible. It's, It's the chapter that gives us the strength to implore in our minds, you know, that driving force. What is the driving force of good? What is the strength of good? What is the power of good? What is the power that we possess? And the power that we possess, brethren... Is in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse thirteen. But now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, three, but the greatest of these is love. The driving force is this: faith. Do you believe God exists? I mean, really, truly. Not not that He's some mystical, but really, truly. Do you really, truly, without a question, without a doubt, believe? That God exists today, forever and ever. Right? Faith. Do you believe it by faith? Or now do you have enough substance to where you don't have to even question it anymore? You don't need faith. It's obvious. It's a given that God exists. In other words, have I moved from having faith that God exists to conviction that God exists? Two very different things. Faith grows us to a conviction. Do I, based on all the evidence that God has given to me personally, do I have the evidence, enough evidence, to know without a shadow of a doubt that God exists? Number two, hope. Do I truly, without a shadow of a doubt, have all my hope in Him? Doesn't matter what happens today, Then what happens tomorrow doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. All that matters is I know that God exists and I know that by His grace, as long as I live a faithful life for Him, by His grace, He's going to take me home. And that's my great hope. So then that means it renders all things but rubbish. It really doesn't matter. This earth doesn't really matter anymore. And then, the greatest of these, do I truly love God? Have I gone from... The phileo, you know, Peter love, eh, you know, God's my friend, you know, that whole idea, that thought. You know, we're friends. We're, we're like, we're brothers to God, I love you without condition. See, see, that's the question. And you know, the power, the power is no longer, if we look at the scriptures and demonology, that whole idea is, a, no, it's, it's mine. And the lesson tonight is yours. We don't have to fear demonology, we have to fear ourselves, right? I mean, we fear God, we fear, what am I going to choose tomorrow? Am I going to choose my sin over God? Have I already chosen it tonight? What am I going to, you know, am I really there yet? Let's keep working together, brethren, to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to help each other, to get there, to be where God wants us to be. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we invite you to become one, to surrender to God in the waters, of baptism. The decision is yours. To surrender to God is yours. It's not if you're struggling in your faith, we can pray with you or pray for you. The decision is yours. Please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come?